0: Hey, welcome to A Different Kind of Walk. My name is Susan, and today you'll be hearing an interview with Betty Fawner. So yeah, so we are here at uh, Deep Creek Lake in Maryland, we are here for Betty Fawner's 95th birthday weekend, and I'm sitting here with my awesome husband, Gary Alloway.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: And with Betty Fonner, who is my husband's grandmother. Um, so she turned 95 this week, and we have been greatly anticipating chatting with her about her wonderful long life, and just how the world has changed in that time, and um, how she has experienced joy throughout different periods of her life. So, hello! Hello! I'm so glad we're able to to actually sit down and do this. Um, So, I guess one of my first questions, just to kind of set the stage, is let's tell everybody... Like where you're from, where you're from? when were you born what was um what was the world like uh, in the town that you grew up in?
2: I was born ninety five years ago mm-hmm. in a small town in southern West Virginia. Mm-hmm. It was a coal mining town, and it was uh, just coming out of the uh, depression, mm-hmm. and uh, things were working up, but uh, I know my dad worked long hours because it was a time when uh, you know, as long as you worked, you'd get paid. There was no overtime or
1: did most. How big was the town?
2: Well, I'd say for a mining town, it was a uh, uh, probably one of the better populated towns it was owned by a coal company out of chicago i can't remember what you asked oh just
1: how big the town was and what
2: was the name of the town again Glen rogers and it was named for a scotsman that came into that area and explored it uh I could tell, give you more background on my parent, my grandparents.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They came from Western North Carolina, and they were timbermen. So they came as lumbermen, but they became connected with the mining town that they were clearing, and so. Uh, they were building houses and uh, built up the up the hollow and when they built up the hollow my par grandparents moved up there uh the big bosses all lived up one street or we didn't have streets but uh, up one section of the hollow.
3: Mm. okay
1: you might have to define the word "holla" for everybody. Yeah, uh, it's just the the narrow bottom of two mountains, right? Yes, that's, that's what makes it
2: the. Holla. It's only wide enough for one row of houses and the creek and the road.
0: Okay, so it was a day like very long, narrow town then. Yes. Yeah.
2: Okay. But it 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 expanded off in one. In one area, but mm-hmm. most of it was straight up the hollow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going to say, there was no outlet. You, If you okay. went through, you went to the end of the hollow, which and, is up the mountain.
1: Okay. And you didn't come out the right. other side. That was it. If you went yeah. in, you were you were there. Yeah. yeah.
2: But if you did climb over the mountain, you're in the next county. Okay. Okay,
1: wow.
2: Which we used to. To do because it wasn't. It was about uh, five miles over the mountain. Okay.
0: Did you ever, with one access road essentially into your town, did you ever get snowed in so that you couldn't couldn't leave?
2: Oh yes. Yeah, that's
0: what I figured.
2: And you probably have too. I have yes. <laughs> Being from Nebraska in
0: the middle yeah. of nowhere. Yeah, totally. So then, where would you get your supplies? Well, we had a coal company.
2: They have a company store. They build a theater. They build a pool hall. You know, this is...
1: Okay. They they brought everything
2: in. Yes. Yeah. Everything. And, uh, of course, in the beginning, most of it came by train.
0: So then if you wanted to buy dresses or clothes or food or anything, you all had to go to that, like, one store. Uh, Beckley which was in
2: Raleigh County, was 25 miles away. Now, that was the hub for all the mining towns in that area. So uh, we had very high-class shopping areas there. But also, uh, the company always had good management in the store, the only one store. And no one else ever was any competition mm. for and no
1: them. one ever opened a second store. No, no. Yeah.
2: And uh oh they carried the, the name brands, Bostonian shoes, uh Vanity Fair underwear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had furniture and very good meat armor meats and Swift Meats, mm. you know, the companies that you Recognize us yeah. as good. Yeah.
1: So when you and the kids, and the other kids and Glenn Rogers played, where would you go and what would you do?
2: Well, uh, you know, uh, I remember always enjoying playing in the creek. We'd build a house, <laughs> our imagination, we'd build our room, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. have it with rocks. Mm-hmm. Also on the... Uh, Mountains had ledges where you'd go up. uh, And we would go up there and and, uh, play. And big rocks, huge rocks. You could maybe build your your, uh, house on these rocks. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we got that. That was all when we were very young that we stayed closer home. But then, uh, you know, as uh, we grew up, uh, we could play down to school.
1: And you said you had a movie theater in town as well? Oh, yes,
2: a very good movie theater. I mean, I saw Gone with the Wind, all the good good movies, because that was all that was... We only had good movies in those days. (laughs) There weren't that many of them, really.
0: Do you remember how much it cost to go to the theater?
2: Oh, well, I don't know if it w- might have been less, but I can certainly rem- remember a quarter.
0: A quarter. Yeah. yeah. That's what my dad said. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's not. he wasn't even close to your age, but that's what he always said about going to the theater when he was a kid, is mm-hmm. <laughs> going for a quarter.
1: How often would you go to Backley?
0: Oh, you know,
2: uh, payday was every two weeks. So that was a big day. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Now my parents wouldn't be going every two weeks, but at times what they were needing to go for, they didn't need to go for groceries. Mm -hmm. They didn't need to go for clothing. My dad always had a car, but (laughs) when, (laughs) when we were young, my dad was very economical. I mean, he was trying to get ahead in the world. He uh, put the car in the garage for the winter. Okay. okay. Of course, the roads were not good, and we had to go over the mountain to go to Beckley.
1: So once he once he winterized the car, you weren't leaving you were Glen waiting. Rogers until springtime.
2: That's right. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. He was also uh, one that... Uh, Wow. Turn the refrigerator off. Okay. <laughs> and we it, put the milk out of okay. the uh, back porch in the winter.
0: Uh, very <laughs> economical.
2: <laughs> that's how you get the... Uh, <laughs> this doesn't need to be in your report. <laughs> yeah. That's where good gets the, it, huh? That's thing. how you get a... a a little check for me occasionally. <laughs> that comes from him. That,
1: that's where that uh yeah. family wealth came from is uh, him putting the uh
0: Absolutely. the milk
1: out back in the winter time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. So then you left there and went to college, right? Um when was that and um what did you do? Like what did you pursue in college and um were you the first in your family? Um, can you tell us a little about that?
2: Well, I I do have uh some people on both sides. I have uh uh my mother's sister was a school teacher. Eventually she got her masters but mm-hmm. <coughs> she was an elementary teacher and of course went through into retirement. I don't know if you remember Aunt Madge. Mm-hmm. And then uh, <clears throat> on the other side, my uh, aunt Ruth prepared herself for Mount Sinai, which is a very good, even today it's a, an outstanding Jewish hospital in New York City. So uh, those two I can think of. Mm-hmm. So then, what
0: did what did you do?
2: Well. No one went to college when I was... My brother was had a, a teacher that was very much attracted to his ability and uh, tried to encourage him. He en- he uh, enrolled at WVU and, you know, it was a 12-hour trip at the least on the bus. Nobody was driving that distance. The roads were terrible. So uh, he had the first semester. And then one day in February, I'll always remember, I was walking to the store, and I see him coming up the road. And it so happened that he pulled out of college and joined the Marine Corps. Okay. Mm-hmm. During the war, this was the war. So of course that broke the ice, and then when it was time for me, they sent me up to WVU. Nice.
0: And that's where you met your husband. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he was a, uh, he was in the war, and he had come back and gone to school, and that's where you met. He had started. He'd
2: had a year in college, and uh, had come back, and his sister, which was my age, was in, uh, we were in uh, the dorm together. It all began there.
0: Yeah, how did you actually, do you remember how you met? He was well, studying geology, and were you, st- what what major were you? Mine was home
2: ec. Okay. Uh, yes, well, he always told a story that... Uh, I had gone to the game with his sister and other girls, I guess, and uh he said he was sitting up behind, and he saw this beautiful mm-hmm. <laughs> little girl in a brown derby we had We wore hats and gloves mm-hmm. to college in those days,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh so that was the
0: beginning. Oh. <laughs> Um, that, did, that did make me wonder, um, so you guys can talk about this together, I guess, but uh, tell me, I'm curious about Frank, Betty's husband, and Gary's grandfather. Um, I love hearing stories about him because I didn't get to meet him, and um, so I'm wondering if you could just give us a little picture of who he was, and then I would love to talk about... What that was like for you when, uh, when he passed. And some of that's a little, it's a selfish request or question because, like, my dad just passed away a couple yeah. months ago. Mm-hmm. My mom is dealing with that grief right now, being alone. And I'm just really curious what that was like for you. You want to know um, about? Yeah, who's Frank? Frank
2: <clears throat> was the uh, second child of Susan and Jim Fodder. I need to give you a little background as I know it. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Jim Fodder was a very successful young man. He had uh, was a progressive young man, and he was very successful in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was at West Liberty Teachers College, mm-hmm. and he met Susan Caulfield who was also a college. uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, so they were married, and he was really doing well. He was a superintendent of schools. He taught, and then he was superintendent of schools. He was in the legislature in the state of West Virginia. But he uh, became involved with his friends, in that uh, there was a possibility of drilling oil on his home place down in another part of West Virginia, it's still up in the uh, northern area, and uh, so he and these uh, fellows that were the leaders in in Middleburn, uh pooled their money and and uh, started drilling on this. Land and so, as a result, they pulled out mm-hmm. of the contract. And he was so sure that 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 the oil was going to come in that he sunk everything he had into it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They had their home and everything, and you know. So anyway, I must say that. I think they had probably two children at this time, and that was Frank and his sister Betty. Mm. This was uh, very difficult for Betty. I don't think she ever got over it. And perhaps her dad, that they lost everything in this. And uh, so anyway, uh, as a result, he spent the rest of his life recovering from this. Mm -hmm. So, as Frank grew up, he had this all in his life, you know, And living in a small town. He uh, would do odd jobs as he could, and he always tried to give his mother money to help run the family. Mm -hmm. He was just this... I say this because this was the type of person he was all... He loved his mother Mm -hmm. and his dad, too. He was a loving man. He was an outstanding man for the family, particularly. I don't think anyone else felt the strain that the family was going through like he did.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. When, uh, you know, I tell you things like this, uh, <clears throat> when uh, uh, his mother died, he helped pay for the the uh, burial. And, you know, he was just that type. It needed to be and he did it. Mm-hmm. And also, when he came back from service, he had, of course, saved money, and uh, it all went for the family.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So when, when your dad, and your grandfather and I were married, he had no money.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We didn't have a car. We didn't have a car until Francis was born. Mm-hmm. So anyway. That was the type of man he was. And I'm sure you uh, had some feelings that he was an outstanding man. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, we always loved time with Grandpa. He was—he uh, always wanted to be outside, you could tell. Um, so he'd take us out hiking. He'd take us out on the rocks. He'd take us out on the lake and the canoe. Um, and, yeah, he was a geologist by trade and he always just seemed to keep that sense of wonder and curiosity all the way through uh you know he'd teach us things about the rocks but you never got the sense it was you got the sense that he enjoyed it that that was that he still had that curiosity and that love of nature that it wasn't uh teaching for the sake of teaching it was sharing something that he enjoyed
2: well Um, you know when he uh he retired from the federal government he uh, did not have his social security because the government you know didn't pay Security. you didn't contribute to it so he when we came back to west virginia he worked for the state west virginia geologic survey for uh 10 years to get his uh, social security mm-hmm and i always felt it was the joy of his life mm.
3: yeah.
2: he spent the year at those 10 years he had, usually had a young geologist under him and they would and he did all the uh, road cuts in the state the uh, mapping of them mm. okay and uh i had a a uh, geologist come and speak to uh, uh, the village once, and he was telling about uh, geology in West Virginia. And when he was finished, I uh, went up and told him who I was, and I said, uh, ask if he knew Frank. He said, I never made a decision without asking Frank. So, he had, the reason he came to talk to us was he had published a book. Mm-hmm. And then this book, your grandfather's name is referred to throughout the book. Oh, mm-hmm. that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, I don't actually know how he died, but... Um, how the what? I don't actually know how he died, Um did he have cancer
2: or what he had uh, had what we thought was cancer at one time and had surgery but that did not you know it seemed to take care of it. Uh, but then later uh, he developed this pain in the back of his neck and uh, they felt he had a a tumor on his spine, and it was influencing him by making his uh arms he couldn't use them
3: mm.
2: but uh the university decided i mean i i I live with this, but which is always hard for me to accept if I had to over. I would certainly have taken him someplace where we could have had some better advice Mm. because they tried, in the end, surgery and it was a terrible death. Mm. Mm. So, uh, you know, you don't do anything about those things once it happened. And, of course, you know, life I mean medicine improves from day to day. Right. You never know what
0: Yeah. Yeah, so you make the best decisions that you can at the time, right? Yeah. But uh, he had taken
2: taken care of everything.
0: So um so then what was it like afterward? How what was the grieving process for you? Um you, I, When I first met you, you were finally selling the house that you two lived in together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I lived there about five years okay. before
2: uh, we sold the house and I decided to go to the village. You know, I, I don't know. I think I am not a griever. Mm. Frank had a good life. He enjoyed life. Mm -hmm. He did what he could, and I feel that I've grieved, but I know we have to go on.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, were
2: there things? Well, you're you're aware of it right now.
0: Yeah. I'll just start crying. Do you uh, feel that uh,
2: you dwell on what it was? I mean, not, not, not death, but what life was before, you know, as, as you grow up in your relationship with your dad, do you grieve? Is that where your grief comes from? or What, what makes um, you grieve?
0: On one hand, there's a part of grief is things that you feel sad about, things that you wish you could change so that's one side of grief another side of grief is just getting used to that loss getting used to not having that person in your life anymore um and so on the side of things i wish i could change there's always and again i'll just start crying but there's always just the like my dad was such a good person and it was really hard to see him suffer mm-hmm.
2: um, well I I agree with that full heartedly
0: yeah and I'm like I'm not somebody who talks about like well he didn't deserve that I don't really talk about deserving necessarily cuz I don't believe in that all that much but just like it's it's just hard to see the people that you love suffer and go through a lot of pain um
2: I think the other thing is that you have to come to this conclusion. You love them very much, but you realize they they went. They're gone. They're gone. Yeah.
1: It's just accepting the fact of it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. there's no, You can't say, well, I I should have done this or, yeah. you know, like I just said. Yeah. There's no point in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's,
3: nothing
2: there's nothing you can do. There's nothing to be gained from that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and my mom, my mom's very much like you in that, um, and she's, she's not a wallower. She's she's very practical. Like, yeah, there's there is no point to regret or or whatever. And at the same, yeah, at the same time, I know she's sad and oh yeah, you know the so yeah that other side of just like dealing with the fact that they're they they don't take up the airspace anymore. Like, they're not here. That's right. Um, that's that's the hardest part for me. I
2: right think now. so. I yeah. think, well, it is. But at the same time, you have to be what you are. You have to go on. No one else is going to do it for you. You've got right. to do it.
0: Yeah. I think one story that you've told me several times, Gary, uh um, about your grandmother and when people were kind of afraid to talk about your grandpa um do you want to tell that story
1: i i think if i'm quoting you correctly i think you told me once uh you know people are afraid to talk to me about frank but i know that he's dead Mm -hmm. and so it's it's okay to talk about it and i that always stuck with me um in terms of talking to anyone going through loss of like, sometimes we're so we're socially anxious about it. We don't want to bring it up. We don't want to make the person upset. But I think your assessment was like, I I know, I know that he's gone. Yeah, that's this. You know, you don't have to be afraid to talk about
2: oh, it. Oh, it's so true. And sometimes with different people, you know, it's good to keep talking about it. Right. But uh, I mean, I've always. Well, I could talk to you about your grandfather. It didn't bother me.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just remembered that. That, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, so often we want to tiptoe around
2: if someone's lost somebody. Yeah. But, But, you know, when you really get around to it, that is your good way to grieve.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're getting ready to do a, a blue service, like a service of mourning in a couple of weeks um, because we have lots of people in our community who have lost loved ones this past year. Mm-hmm. And um, and I've always found that like the best way to grieve is to tell stories to because it like for those minutes that you are telling those stories, it, it's like those people are still alive. It's yeah. like they're here mm-hmm. with you still. Um, and so, like, I'm really looking forward to that.
2: Yeah, but I also think you know, uh, I I've never wanted to dwell on that because I know people who have, and it seems as if it doesn't seem to help their grieving.
0: For me, it kind of depends on what stories it is that you're telling. Mm-hmm. Am I if I'm just if I'm telling the stories of joy, essentially the the stories about my dad that, um, are going to make me laugh and the stories that, um, like that's one thing, but if, if all, if the only stories that I'm telling are the ones of regret and the one like the, he
2: like, suffered, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: then that prolongs, seems yeah. to prolong the grief.
1: So yeah, you used, you used the word deserve earlier. Um, It seems like when we get stuck on narratives of fairness about suffering, whether this was fair or unfair or just or unjust, it seems like that is a place we really get stuck when we feel as though our suffering was somehow unfair. Right. Yeah. Uh So let's
3: raise a glass to all those we wish were sitting here The ones we miss the most this
0: time of year
2: How do you feel about being 95? Well, I've always said, you know, I don't feel 95. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, I didn't believe when I was 65. I didn't believe I was, I mean, it didn't bother me to be 65. Mm-hmm. I just haven't uh, ever brought that into realization or something, you know. Uh, uh, oh, I'll say, oh, i Old, which I am, <laughs> but I don't use that as a question a anyway, right. yeah, I would uh, say generally speaking, because you know i'm uh, live with people that are 90, 90 is almost anymore ninety is almost average, mm-hmm. so anyway, uh it seems to me that when you get our age you get much more conscious of the fact that you try to help, be helpful.
3: Hmm.
2: You know, you lose your personal uh, greed or you don't have any place to go anymore. (laughs) But uh, I, I notice that generally. You know, you wouldn't believe the Christmas cards, the greetings that I have had. It's just that everyone is trying to give. Mm.
1: So you feel like uh, people are able to become more selfless? The yes, I
2: really. I think yeah. they think, well, you know, what can I do? I have the possibility of so many years. Mm-hmm. What can I do with it? Yeah. Now you're handicapped there in so many ways mm-hmm. uh, that you can't. You know, you know, somebody might need help over there, you can't go to them, but you, you know, you have other ways to show you're mm-hmm. concerned. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: But I really feel that is a strong emotion at that time, uh, this late in life. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think I've ever
0: heard anybody say that before, but it does make sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, obviously, the the world has changed a lot in your 95 years. But you've always stood out to me as I think so many people, society changes, views of marriage change or views of, you know, culture change or these sort of things. And they at some point, they either check out or become embittered or get just very nostalgic. And it seems like you've stayed engaged. You haven't, you know, been upset about how things have changed. Yeah, I think like I think change. I've always given you credit for maintaining
2: curiosity. Oh, I hope. You know the the only thing that I feel now that uh, I'd like to kind of find a substitute for is that uh, I keep up too much with the government.
3: Mm.
2: You know, I I don't know that that's good. I think sometimes it'd be better off just to let it take care of itself. (laughs) I know it. I know that's not right, but... uh,
0: Yeah. But that is. it is nice even to hear you say that, because I feel like a lot of, and people in general, when we see the government doing something that we don't like, we get super stressed and anxious about it and maybe focus on it more than we should not that we should do nothing and not that we you know we have a responsibility to act and to try to influence our government and whatnot but if that then takes us over that anxiety and stress then it's not good so yeah that's
2: why i feel that uh, you know how many hours do you give to watching television yeah, yeah. and that kind of stuff and it's hard to get away from it yeah yeah definitely yeah mm-hmm. i
1: think um you know so i'm 41 so you're starting to get a cultural divide between me and younger folks you know that they're 18 19 20 years old it's not as big as, you know, some gaps, but, but they are a different generation, and they have different expectations and different culture and different beliefs. And it's easy to see people, even at my age, start to develop that antagonism. You know, that, oh, the young people today are terrible. Oh, I know. Things <laughs> used to be better. You know, like, they're just awful. They're just debauched, and they have no morals, yeah. and et cetera, et cetera,
2: when the world's going to...
0: Yeah. yeah, the whole
1: world's going to pop. Yeah. Um, and you're and, only
0: 41.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's, and I mean, again, as a student of history, everyone in every age ever thinks the world used yeah. to be better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, people used to be more pure and more moral. And, you know, um, reading John Steinbeck, you know, yeah. he, he's doing that <laughs> stuff. of Like, oh, back in the 19th century, everyone was... Uh, um, but I, I do feel like I learned that from you in a lot of ways, to not be antagonistic towards young folks, to meet them where they are, to have curiosity, to see the best in them, to learn from them.
2: Well, I do feel that when you live to be 95, I can relate to you. I can relate to your mother and dad. You know, their their life at that age, Mm
3: -hmm. you know,
2: I can remember what the... Hard things were, I know nothing about this generation mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it is just beyond me, uh-huh. Mm. I wouldn't make any judgment whatsoever. <laughs> I
0: wouldn't. No, that's but that's so kind, and I feel like that's so rare. And my dad was like that, too, where it's like, I try to hold off judgment as long as possible. Right. And, it, and I mean, I don't know. For me, there, there are people my age in a whole culture there, and I'm 35, um, where I don't get it. I would love to talk to someone who is into all the things that I'm not into yeah. and hear from them what is beautiful and engaging and fulfilling in yeah. those things mm-hmm. because as it is, I just don't get it, yeah. you know? Um, and I think we have that attitude because of people like you and because of people like my dad who who were much more okay with not just judging and rejecting and mm. whatever.
2: Perhaps my biggest concern, and I, you know, I've always loved where I lived, where I grew up. I loved the people. I was respected, and and uh, I did well. But my biggest concern is the drugs in southern West Virginia. I just... You know, I just wish there was some way that we could pick these people up Mm -hmm. and uh, make them productive because they're just in there killing themselves. Mm -hmm. We have probably the largest amount of death in in Mm the United States. Mm -hmm. It's just terrible. That concerns me. (laughs) And any time I can... <laughs> say yeah. that uh, something is good happened. That's what I try to do. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I guess maybe my last question is: um, Do you have do you have any advice? <laughs> oh. <laughs> do you have any advice for all of us?
2: Proceed your... Goals. I'm well. I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I certainly can't judge your goals. And whether they're, we all have to travel this way through and do the best we can. Yeah.
0: Thanks for joining us for a different kind of walk. Next on the docket is Jeff and I talking about true facts on Jesus' birth. And in the new year, we are excited to introduce you to Justin Skizak, who is one of the founders of I'll Push You, who will be leading Jeff's upcoming trip along the Camino in a wheelchair. Until next time, live well.